Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. On today's program, we're taking a look at the leaked document from the U.S. Supreme Court this week that indicates the court is about to overturn Roe v. Wade. I'll talk with the head of Ohio Right to Life and of Pro-Choice Ohio, about 20 minutes with each of them. And courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Clay Gordon talks with Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, and Tracy Townsend presents stories about House Bill 616, which would restrict discussions of sexual orientation and gender identification in the classroom. First up on Columbus Perspective, a discussion about abortion and this week's news from the U.S. Supreme Court. In about 20 minutes, I'll talk with Kelly Copeland, Executive Director of Pro-Choice Ohio. First, though, on the phone with me, Mike Ganadakis, who is the president of Ohio Right to Life. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us uh, what Ohio Right to Life is. Uh, we're the state's largest and longest-serving pro-life organization. We were found uh, shortly after January 1973 when the original Roe v. Wade decision was uh, given down, uh, legalizing abortion. And uh, actually, the pro-life movement in the United States was founded in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the gentleman at the time, the late Dr. Jack Wilkie, founded Ohio Right to Life, then National Right to Life, and then opened up uh, chapters in all 50 states. So uh, the pro-life movement started right here in the Great Buckeye State. And uh, you mentioned Roe v. Wade. Of course, that's big news this week because it appears that the U.S. Supreme Court is about ready to knock that down. It does. You know, I think it caught us every single uh, American off guard, pro-life, pro-choice, uh, on Tuesday evening when uh, Politico ran a story with, you know, at the time we didn't know was this fake, you know, was this true, is the attached draft opinion real? So we were cautiously optimistic, and I think the whole nation was stunned and caught off guard. Because keep in mind, I mean, it's so unprecedented for an employee of the United States Supreme Court to leak a draft opinion. That just doesn't happen. And Chief Justice Roberts next day acknowledged that the, it was legitimate, a draft opinion, and they've opened up an FBI investigation to find out who did that, hold somebody accountable. The words the chief justice used was betrayal. Um, you know, regardless of where you fall on the issue of abortion and life, you know, we, we need to make sure our United States Supreme Court is held free of politics and uh, any types of leaks and, and uh, shenanigans, because that's the last great institution we have to, uh, to, to ensure that justice is uh, doled out equally and evenly. So obviously this is something that your organization has been shooting for for decades. So what was your feeling when you heard this news? You know, that's a great question. You know, I've been with Ohio Right to Life for the past 14 years. And, um, you know, I, I've been resigned to the fact that, you know, at some point I'm going to pass the torch on to some younger person to come in and continue to lead this organization. And I was just, I've often wondered lately if in my lifetime I would see an end to Roe v. Wade. And, you know, as of right now, it appears that that's going to happen. Again, we don't have a final opinion. Okay, we just have a draft opinion. So we've got to be careful. Any, things could change. I don't think they will, but they could. Um, but um, if, if we're reading the tea leaves right and, you know, we, in, in what it looks like this is going to happen. Now, now I can't stress enough to all your listeners that overturning Roe v. Wade does not make abortion illegal. That's just simply a false statement. Overturning Roe v. Wade just allows each and every state in the great country we live in, the United States of America, to make their own decision. Currently, right now, in the states like California and New York, the laws on the books in those two states allows for abortion up to and through the ninth month of pregnancy. And that's true. You can Google it and see it yourself. Um, a woman could be eight and a half months pregnant and decide she wants to have an abortion in California, New York, and 
and sadly a few other states too, and it's perfectly legal. If Roe v. Wade's overturned, those laws still stay on the books because that's the law that California decided. That's the law that New York decided. The men and women of those states elected their legislature and their governor to, to, and to enact those type of statutes. And if they don't want that anymore, they can uh, vote for other people to come in and change that. But in the great Buckeye state that we live in, we're going to do things a lot different. But overturning Roe just allows each state to set its own destiny. That's it. Some states will allow it. Some states won't. Some states will meet in the middle. But each state, you know, depending on where you live, will have a different standard. And that's okay. We should be able to live in a state where we choose when we're going to protect the most vulnerable. So word has come this week that Governor Mike DeWine has asked Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost to go to court if this does happen and lift the stay on the heartbeat bill. Is that right? That's correct. If the governor said in a in a media gag a gaggle that he will indeed do that, the second row's overturned, he's going to call uh, Dave Yost, our attorney general. He's the lawyer for the governor, according to the Ohio Constitution, and. Um, you know, right now our heartbeat law that he signed in 2018 is is being held up in federal court by a judge who's not pro-life, and they're just slow rolling it. So um, that case will immediately be dismissed if Rose overturned because there will be no more uh, grounds for the judge to hold the case. So at a minimum, we will have um, an abortion-free Ohio at the moment a baby's beating heart can be detected, which is usually around six to seven weeks in development. From there, the governor also said said it during that same media uh, opportunity was that he will sign the Ohio Right to Life trigger bill that we have right now, which we believe is going to get done here really quick. And what that says is if and when Rose overturned, Ohio will be abortion free. And he said he will sign that too. So um, this is everything we've worked for. Men and women that have come way before me have worked harder, blood, sweat, and tears. And this is the moment that we've been waiting for in Ohio. Now, keep in mind, if this all goes to fruition, as I've just described it on the phone to you and your listeners, for those that disagree with us, they can obviously go to the ballot box and vote for somebody else for state representative, for state senator. And if a majority of the people in their district agree with them, we'll have a different legislature. We could have a different governor in four years or this year we have a gubernatorial election and, and go from there. So, again, the power to the people, the people to decide to make these decisions, not nine men and women at the United States Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., but us, me and you, all your listeners. We get to weigh in in the court of public opinion through the ballot box, which is democracy. This is the way it should work. Talking with Mike Gonadakis, president of Ohio Right to Life. Let me throw a couple of numbers out at you and, and get your feedback on this. Ohio's population expanded by 260,000 from 2010 to 2020. That's an average of 26,000 per year. Ohio currently has about 20,000 abortions per year. So over the next 10 years, in addition to what might be an expected growth rate, will it increase by 200,000 more than normal because abortion will no longer be legal? It could. You know, look, I mean, certainly if, a, if a, uh, an Ohio woman wants to have an abortion, if we live in an abortion-free state, they can. Pennsylvania has already said their governor that they're going to keep abortion uh, legal in Pennsylvania. Illinois said they're going to be keep abortion legal, too. So it's it's not going to be um, uh, not an option across the country. You know, Pennsylvania is, is a two-hour drive from here. Um, but the fact that to answer your question specifically is that, you know, we keep reading articles in our local media, newspapers, radio, and on TV. TV that the uh, the brain drain in Ohio, people fleeing the state, not wanting to stay, and it hurts us. We lost another congressional seat. We're down to 15 congressional seats. We used to have 20-something congressional seats and had so much more clout in D.C. and how we were spending our money or, or, or our institution here in Ohio to put Ohio at the front of the line. If we're shrinking, the best way to stop shrinking is to stop uh, what's one of the big reasons why we're shrinking, because we're aborting uh, on an average of 20,000 babies a year in Ohio. Back in the 80s, we were at 50,000 
thousand abortions a year. Now the good news is, is we continue to decline in the number of abortions each year. We're not at zero though. So um, with with less abortions brings more lives. You know, more opportunity for women to raise their children. And if they can't raise their children or don't want to raise their children, they can place them for adoption. Both of my children are adopted, and adoption is a beautiful thing. And and we're not unique in the neighborhood for which we live here in Central Ohio. Countless uh, families in our neighborhood have adopted children, children of color, children from overseas, and so on and so forth. So, but I would imagine that a, a pro-choice person might look at that number, the, the 20,000 abortions per year, over 10 years, 200,000. One way to look at that would be that that's the city of Akron, which has 198,000 people. So if you add, in, a, in essence, a new city the size of Akron in Ohio of children 10 and under, the change and the adjustment in infrastructure and things like additional pediatricians, daycares, schools, teachers, grocery stores in low-income areas, uh, expanding the SNAP program. I mean, doesn't all that have to happen? Um, well, not necessarily, because each woman finds himself in a different position. Certainly not every woman who has an abortion is uh, is low-income inner city. I mean, there are women in New Albany that are having abortions, in rich white suburbs that are having abortions, and, or th- those that have jobs, middle class. So it's not just, you can't just say that, well, we're going to need to have a SNAP program for every woman. You know, it's a good thing to grow our population. We have, look at the city of Cleveland that continues to uh, decline and shrink. You have infrastructure in the city of Cleveland that is built for a million people, but about 300,000 people still live in the city of Cleveland. They can take all those the hundreds of thousands of people you just mentioned over the next decade because they have the infrastructure for it. When they build it, when they built their roads and trains and railways up there, they built it for a million people. But the city continues to shrink, and they're down to 300,000. Now, same thing with all, except Columbus. Columbus booming. It's growing. Um, Columbus proper. Um, but all the other big cities are shrinking because people are leaving the Cincinnati's, the Cleveland's, the Dayton's, the Toledo's, the Akron's and Youngstown's. So we can now reintroduce additional population. That's good. And uh, we're the seventh largest state in the country, and um, we know how to take care of ourselves. We have over 47,000 licensed physicians in the state of Ohio. We've got a great health care system in Ohio. We offer Medicaid expansion that Governor Kasich signed when he was governor. I personally supported it. Ohio Right to Life did. We took a lot of heat for it, but it was the right thing to do. So I'm confident that we'll be able to um, uh, absorb an increase in our population, and that's a good thing. But I, I would imagine it would have to require an increase in government spending. If you're talking about 200,000 more people in Ohio than what normally might have happened over the next 10 years. I, you know, I, you know I, I, I say this all respectfully, of course. Um, you know, I, I would disagree with that because, you know, you... It, if, if let's put it this way, if um, if President Biden uh, bust in 200,000 immigrants from the southern border from Mexico and just dropped them in the middle of Columbus, yes, we are going to need an influx of housing, um, social services, you know, this, that and the other. But that that wouldn't be the case over a decade. You know, um, you know, look at our average birth weight, birth rate, how many babies are being born a year. So it's not like we're just dumping in, you know, all of a sudden at once. And um, we have been shrinking so much. We've got the capacity to grow. I mean, we are shrinking as a population. We need to stop that. We need to regrow our population. One other issue here, if if abortion becomes illegal in Ohio, should fathers be held more responsible, more aggressive efforts to find out who they are? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, I believe whether it be today when abortion is legal or tomorrow if abortion is illegal, that fathers should be involved with mothers' lives. The Ohio State University have done multiple studies that have shown a two-parent household, um, the likelihood and statistics of that child be getting a good education and um, being able to go to college uh, increase tremendously. So we support two-family households 
uh, two parent households, excuse me, not two families, <laughs> two parent households, um, uh, because the statistics from the Ohio State University demonstrate that the child has a huge likelihood of success in having a good education. So dad should always be in the picture. Mama should always be in the picture. And let's let's get back to focusing on how we can keep the core family unit together. So would you like to see perhaps, you know, tougher laws, uh, you know, more judges going after, you know, child support payments. And I don't know, maybe the threat of more action if fathers are not identified and made responsible, because otherwise this is all going to fall even more on women. Yeah, you know, um, we do have laws on the books for deadbeat dads or deadbeat moms. If they're required by a court order to pay child support and they don't do that, they are arrested. We have that law on the books. Hopefully it's being enforced every day. I'm not a domestic relations attorney and I'm not a domestic relations judge, so I can't tell you statistics or if it's working or not. But I do know we have laws on the books if um, if a mom or dad skirts their responsibilities to provide child support, period. And I know people can be arrested if they don't provide for child support and have their wages garnished. So if those laws need to be stronger, if there's a better way to ensure that these children are getting the resources they need, well, then, yeah, of course, let's do it. Um, you know, if we need to change culture and mindsets, let's do that, too. So uh, the answer to your question, yes, absolutely. I know we have laws on the books, so it's not the Wild West right now. Are they being enforced? Are they being enforced properly? That's a great question that we should have someone dig into. Just a couple of minutes to go here with Mike Ganadakis, President of Ohio Right to Life. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, it's it seems any more, more than ever, and maybe people will paint my statement here is being unfair. I don't know, because I don't know that Republicans tend to be pro-life and Democrats tend to be pro-choice. What is that? Is that is that an ethical difference? Is it a moral difference, a rights difference? Is it a scientific thinking difference? What Mm -hmm. philosophical difference? What is it? We could spend an hour talking about that amazing question you just asked, and hopefully someday you invite me back to do that. Um, You know, here's what I know. Democrat politicians are pro-choice. Republican politicians are pro-life. It's, it's, it's been polarized from a political perspective. But I've been to all 88 counties, not once, not twice, but multiple times over the past 14 years. And what I can tell you is the pro-life issue is nonpartisan. We're a nonpartisan organization. Um, we support Democrats, Republicans, independents. We support liberals, conservatives. Green Party people, we just ask them to be pro-life. I will tell you this. When I go to the city of Parma, one of the largest suburbs in Cuyahoga County, northeast Ohio, you have to be two things or a couple things. One, you have to be a Democrat. Two, you have to be pro-union. That's great. And three, you have to be pro-life. You know, the Polish community up there, the Eastern Orthodox community up there is devoutly pro-life. Uh, former state reps from that area, like Tim DeGeter, the current mayor of Parma, is devoutly pro-life. Where's it on his sleeve? I talked to him. Um, he's a, he's a, he was a good friend when he was in the state house down here. So there are a lot of great um, pro-life Democrats, pro-life Republicans. They're just the big party bosses won't let you run if you're a pro-life Democrat for uh, elected office, at, the, at least at the state house level. I don't know about city councils and, and that kind of stuff. Too many cities. Polls seem to indicate the majority of Americans are in favor of Roe v. Wade. Respectfully, uh, my friend, and, and again, I say this with all due respect, if you read the questions that are asked, is do you believe the, the questions are always asked in the same or similar fashion? Do you think abortion um, on demand should be allowed up to and through the ninth month? And that gets very low, 10, 12 percent. No, they, people don't believe that. People don't believe in late term abortions. Even pro-choicers don't. Now, keep in mind, Roe v. Wade said a woman has a right to an abortion up to and through her ninth month. Our adversaries on the other side, Planned Parenthood, they all support abortion up to and through the ninth month. Americans don't support that. That's a 90-10 issue. Okay. A 90-10 issue. But does that – so what about pro-choice then? Are are most Americans uh, of the belief that at least at some level there should be a pro-choice factor? 
Um, yes, I, I would say that there is a belief that probably has a, a plurality because, again, you have to ask the question, you know, should it be six weeks, should it be seven weeks? When you ask, you know, different uh, stages of development, you're going to get different responses from um, from registered voters or whoever, you know, who's answering the questions in a poll. Um, but, you know, the. But I can tell you that we're at the point now, we're at the tipping point now where with the advent of science, 4D ultrasounds, adoption being so prevalent, you're seeing, especially the millennials here, millennials support two things that I've seen over the past, you know, maybe millennials, not the right word, but younger people, if I'm, if I use that, they support uh, same sex marriage and they support uh, life more and more and more. Those two are trending in the right, well, they're trending together upwards from a younger person perspective. So again, 11.9 million people live in Ohio and 20,000 too many, but 20,000 abortions in our state. It's not like it's a million or 5 million or 100,000. Thank God. You know, thank God it's not those numbers. And 20,000 is too much. But let's keep in mind, you know, we look at the big picture here in, in Ohio. And as you mentioned, the number has dropped dramatically over the last few yes, years. Yes, sir. Yeah, and it's been a combination of factors. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and say it's all because of Ohio right to life or because we elected one politician or passed one law. All that matters and all that help, and it's helped us expedite um, our mission statement here. But changing the culture, you know, changing hearts and minds, that has gone a long way too. And, and you know, it used to be so taboo uh, for um, uh, if a girl finds herself in an unintended pregnancy, uh, you know, whether she's in high school or college, um, and it's just not taboo anymore. Um, and, you know, it, it, you accept her for who she is, and, and you love her. And you help her. And last question, since we're, I, I think I feel like I need to bring this up. In the instance sure. of rape or incest and abortion, Ohio Right to Life is of the belief that that, that pregnancy should still endure, correct? Here's what I'll tell you. We believe every single human being, whether you're a male, female, black or white, gay or straight, rich or poor, has an inherent right to life and to live their God-given life and ability to lead a healthy life, regardless of how you come in this world, Um, regardless. And that's why we believe and support everyone's opportunity to live, whether they agree with me politically or not. Whether again, as if you're if you're gay or straight, it doesn't matter. Everyone should be able to live their lives peacefully and happily in the United States of America, regardless of the circumstances for how you came in. State legislator uh, Gene Schmidt from Southwest Ohio was criticized for referring to that as an opportunity for victims of rape. Uh, what was your take on that? Yeah, that, I mean, look. Um, Gene, you have to listen to her whole statement. You know, the, the, you know this gotcha soundbite stuff is not. It wasn't fair to her because if you listen to her entire statement, it wasn't. She didn't say, "Hey, it's an opportunity." She said a lot of it. And she can speak to that on her own. But at the end of the day, what she meant was an opportunity to live is far greater than an opportunity to die or be killed. And we need to embrace that um, and, and and hold that dearly to our, because we're living in a crazier and crazy country. Every single day we turn on the TV and see things that require us to turn off the TV. Um, let's find the good in our society, um, even when there's a lot of bad. Mike Ganadakis, president, Ohio Right to Life. Anything else you'd like to add? No, you did great. This is awesome. I'm just it's such an honor to be on the show and a blessing to be able to speak with you about these issues. Thanks for talking to us. If folks want more info about your uh, organization, Mike, where do they find it? I'd ask them to go to ohiolife.org. That's ohiolife.org. Okay. Thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Thank you, sir. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Kelly Copeland, who is the Executive Director of Pro-Choice Ohio. How are you? I'm 
well. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. What is Pro-Choice Ohio? Um, we're an abortion and reproductive rights advocacy organization um, for the state of Ohio. Okay, and we've uh, been talking about the Supreme Court, the uh, leaked document that seems to indicate that they are about to overturn Roe v. Wade. What is your take on that? Well, you know, when I first heard the news, my concern was for people who have appointments um, who for abortion care um, this week or, or coming up. And, and my concern was um, how this would make them feel. Would they be concerned about whether or not they could still go to their appointment? So I really wanted to make sure that people knew that, uh, yes, this was a, a draft um, leak of a potential Supreme Court decision, um, but that for now, abortion remains legal in Ohio and people can get care at the nine clinics that remain open. In terms of the content of that draft decision, you know, it's not surprising. Ever since um, Donald Trump was elected president and had the opportunity to stack the Supreme Court with conservative justices, Um, We've been uh, concerned that they would take this move and uh, overturn Roe versus Wade. That said, it doesn't diminish the heartbreak that we feel, um, the pain and the fear that we're hearing from people because they know how much this will will change our state, will change our country, Um, and particularly because we know how devastating this impact will be by people who are already facing the greatest barriers to care, um, to health care in particular, um, whether that's people who are struggling to end, make ends meet, people who are young, um, trans and non-binary people, or people of color. Polls seem to indicate that most people are in favor of Roe v. Wade or are pro-choice at some level, and yet it seems like in recent years there's been a real swing away from that. What is your take on why that's happening? Oh, that's, that's, that's really simple. One word, gerrymandering. Um, in the state of Ohio, uh, 10 years ago, um, anti-choice Republicans basically cheated, and they drew legislative boundaries that unfairly broke up communities in a way that um, basically ensures that their races are not competitive that they have um, an unfair and I would argue an unconstitutional advantage in elections. And so what we've had over the last 10 years is despite having an overwhelming majority of Ohioans thinking that abortion should remain legal, we have this manufactured anti-abortion majority in the legislature that's passed 31 separate restrictions on access to abortion and family planning. Talking with Kelly Copeland, Executive Director, Pro-Choice Ohio. Well, the two parties, with exceptions, it seems Republicans are are aligned or associated with pro-life and Democrats with pro-choice. Is that an ethical, a moral, a rights, a philosophical difference? Why does it seem to be so clear-cut between the two parties? I think it's because the Republican Party has eradicated um, people who don't hold this extremist view. I I personally know um, many Republicans who agree that people should have bodily autonomy, that the government should not be involved in these sorts of decisions um, by people. 
Um, but unfortunately, because in part because of this gerrymandering, you've seen the Republican Party send people who are more and more conservative because the elections that are competitive are the primaries. And that gives you more extreme candidates. Um, they don't give you candidates that are, are more aligned with their community. Um, we used to have many Republican allies in the uh, state government in the state of Ohio. Unfortunately, um, anti-choice groups and gerrymandering have really pushed them out of elected office. So, you know, although, you know, there are um, more Republicans who oppose abortion access than those who support it, you know, I wouldn't say that um, people who respect and believe in reproductive freedom only belong to one party. Well, let me uh, ask you or or set up a scenario here. And and we talked to Mike Ganadakis from Ohio Right to Life a short time ago, and I presented these numbers to him as well. I'm curious on your take. Ohio's population expanded by 260,000 from the year 2010 to 2020, a 10-year average of 26,000 per year. Ohio has 20,000 abortions per year. So if over the next 10 years, those 20,000 abortions are prevented. You're talking about 200,000 more children, which is equivalent to the size of Akron today. It would seem that we would need more pediatricians, more daycares, more schools, more teachers, more grocery stores in low-income areas, more playgrounds, more Medicaid, more SNAP benefits. What is your take on that? I think that the state of Ohio has been woefully Uh, negligent in providing resources for people to um, to be able to take care of the children in our communities. Um, We know acutely that um, access to quality, affordable child care is um, a crisis in the state of Ohio, um, one that um, prevents many women from being able to provide for their families, to be able to fully participate in the workplace the way they would choose to. Ohio does not even have a guaranteed minimum maternity leave, not even unpaid. The state of Ohio hasn't deigned to even do that. Never mind uh, paternity leave, never mind family leave, never mind paid leave. Um, the state of Ohio has, you know, enacted one policy after another to take away comprehensive sex education, to take away access to family planning. Um, to they've ignored largely the maternal and infant mortality crisis that is particularly heartbreaking in the black community because uh, black mothers and children die at much higher rates than in white families. The state of Ohio has sat on its hands largely and refused to deal with any of those issues. And yet they seem hell bent on forcing people to continue pregnancies against their will. So do I think that the state of Ohio should do more? Absolutely. Do I think that that is a substitution for or some sort of uh, a way that they should uh, respond because they're trying to eliminate abortion access? No, they're not. They're not interchangeable. People should, you know, we're pro-choice. We think that people should be able to have the resources that they need to parent or not to parent as, as they see fit and to be able to do so 
and safe and sustainable communities. Full stop. If abortion is banned, should there be a movement toward making fathers more accountable, being more aggressive at tracking down who they are and making them responsible for their child as well as the mother? Look, I think that parents have an obligation to care for their children. And, you know, we're, we're in the state of Ohio in particular, we've done a terrible job at making sure that, you know, people are paying their child support, that, you know, that children are, are properly cared for, that, that, that families have the safety net that they need so that everyone in the family is, is able to live uh, safely and securely in their community. You know, that, that needs to happen regardless. Um, of whether or not abortion access is available. I will say with this Supreme Court ruling, it is it, it would not say that abortion would be outlawed across the country. What it would say is that that question would be remanded back to states. There are some states like New York and California um, where abortion uh, would, I think, absolutely remain legal. There are other states where I think that um, they would move to to outlaw abortion. I think um, Texas, um, you know, they've already um, moved to only allowing abortions through six weeks, which is um, at a point in pregnancy before many people realize that they are pregnant. Ohio, I think it remains to be seen what will happen here. And I don't think it should matter what state you live in, whether or not you have access to a fundamental human right like bodily autonomy. Talking with Kelly Copeland, executive director of Pro-Choice Ohio. Well, the governor uh, has indicated that he wants uh, the Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost to go to court to try to remove the stay on the heartbeat bill if uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned. And also uh, the trigger legislation, there would be an effort, I think, to, to try to get that passed so that Ohio would quickly ban abortions. Is that your feeling on what might happen? It's clear that Mike DeWine and David Yost um, care not what the people of the state of Ohio want. They only care about what they want. And so to see them uh, abuse their offices in that way wouldn't surprise me a bit. Is that what they should do? Absolutely not. Um, And I I would urge them to read the state constitution, which many uh, legal experts believe has even stronger protections for bodily autonomy and for private decision-making and for access to abortion than even the U.S. Constitution does. So, you know, they, they may take that, that matter to federal court, but uh, that will not be the end of, of the, um, the legal battle. If Ohio did ban abortions and if they were still legal in New York and if New York was the closest state where they were, could you see at some point almost like uh, companies setting up to help women who want an abortion to go to New York? I mean, that's happening in Ohio now Mm -hmm. because of some of the bans that are in place now where people cannot access care later in pregnancy um, because of heartless um, restrictions that have already been enacted. Sometimes people have to go to to Chicago, New York, Maryland, um, to to access care, and there are incredibly compassionate and um, loving people who work at 
the abortion funds in Ohio. Women Have Options of Ohio, the Aggie Fund. Um, there's also a not-for-profit clinic preterm um, in the Cleveland area. They help provide resources and logistics for people who need to leave the state to access the abortion care that they need. Uh, there are, are plans in place, and there, there will be uh, not-for-profit organizations that will do everything that they can to make sure that people are still able to get the care that they need. And I also think people are, are accessing medication abortion, and they are safely managing their abortions at home um, on their own. And I think that will happen as well. People, regardless of what the legal status is of abortion within our history in this country or across the globe, people who need abortions will always find a way to have them, regardless of what the legal status is. And there are people who care about them and love them who will always stand by their side to ensure that they get the care that they need as safely and uh, without stigma as is possible. I'm curious uh, your take on the gender issue on this. It would seem that most women are pro-choice. It's their body. And, you know, we hear a lot about how they want control over the decisions to be made between them and their doctor. There's no provision in some of these uh, uh, legislation pieces about rape or incest, not allowing abortion in those instances. And yet some of it's joking talk and maybe not that if men could get pregnant, there would be abortion clinics on every street corner. Right. Well, you know, I think that it's revealing that the the abortion bans that you talked about that are pending the trigger ban, but also all of the restrictions that have already passed in the state of Ohio, none of them have had exceptions. Um, for rape or incest survivors. I think that's really telling. And, um, you know, just, um, gosh, what was it, last week? Um, I'm sure all of your listeners are experiencing um, the time warp that <laughs> we've all been experiencing right. the last couple of years. Uh, what is time anymore? I'm not sure anyone knows. But, um, you know, uh, Jean Schmidt, who is a state representative, um, you know, she was testifying about, you know, her bill, which is a total ban on abortion. And she was asked, uh, you know, what about people who get pregnant as a result of rape? And she had the callous response of, well, I guess that's an opportunity. It, it almost leaves you speechless that that is the answer that anti-abortion advocates have. It's an opportunity. Is there no recognition that a person who has had someone else force themselves onto another's body would not be able to then make a decision about what happens next? Some people who experience rape or incest, sometimes they do continue pregnancy. Sometimes that's the right choice for them. The state has no business forcing them to do that. And to be so callous as to say, well, that's an opportunity. I just, it's as a person of faith, as, as a person who cares about my neighbors, it's shocking to me that that could be the response from anyone. The whole issue is uh, so fascinating, and I chose uh, during these sets of interviews not to go into the argument about whether abortion is right or wrong. You know, I've watched arguments about abortion where religion is the basis of Christianity, is the basis of making decisions. 
and both sides can have strong points to it. It's it's a fascinating topic that could never end when talking about it. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's not the place for government to decide. It's one of the things that I think we all cherish as Americans is that, you know, we can live our lives according to our own faith if, if we are people of faith or free from that if we're not people of faith. You know, that is such an extraordinary um, part of being a free people to not have another person's religious views forced on us. And, you know, it's one of the things that's always upset me about, um, you know, people trying to enforce their set of religious beliefs on other people. And, you know, for me as a Christian and as a person of faith, one of the things that I think is so beautiful about that faith, about my faith, about um, the God that, that I worship is the free will that we're given. Um, if God trusts us, if God had trusts women in particular as the gatekeepers of life, you know, and if you look at the Bible, it's, it's very clear that, you know, if you look at Exodus, uh, uh, I think it's chapter 21, verse uh, 22, um, you know, it, it talks about what happens, you know, if a pregnant woman is harmed and um, they lose the pregnancy. It, it's not the same as if the woman herself is harmed. You know, for, for a lot of people like me who are people of faith, um, you know, we are pro-choice because of our faith. Um, I recognize, though, that other people, that's not where their faith leads them. And, and I think that they should make their own decisions in their own life according to their faith. So let me ask you this question then, as a Christian woman, and, and I have asked this question of Senator Sherrod Brown as well. Democrats more and more these days are being painted as sort of a non-religious political group. And it seems as though Democrats are not very aggressive at shooting that down, which makes the, the situation seem even wider between that party and the Republican Party when it comes to religion. You know, I think that's an interesting concept. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, not a representative of the Democratic Party. I'm, I'm a voter like everyone else. Um, you know, I work for, you know, an interest organization, for an advocacy organization. And there are people in our ranks. And one of the things I love about our movement, you know, we have um, atheists and agnostics and Catholics and Jewish people, Muslims, uh, Christians, um, you know, people really across the spectrum, Hindus, Sikhs, all among the people who uh, work with, contribute to, volunteer um, for our organization and are involved in our movement. And I think that for me, however a person comes to their values, the values that say that a person should have that bodily autonomy, that people should have reproductive health care, that quality affordable child care is important, that, that there should not be an infant and maternal um, mortality crisis, particularly one that is so heinous in one community um, and, and not in another. You know, when we're talking about these, um, these barriers to health care that black people in our community in particular, but also other people of color experience, 
you know, however people come to those sets of values, I think, you know, that's, that's a personal thing. But when it comes to how we govern, how we take care of each other as a society, I think that's a policy and a governance issue. That's what elections are about. And, you know, when I look at candidates, I don't look necessarily to, you know, what is their religious faith? I look at what is it that are their values? What is it that they think makes a strong community? How do they think we as a society should treat each other? Um, And if, you know, that's part of their faith, great. If they're um, uh, an atheist, great. Um, You know, I respect all of those things. and, And I think it's just one of the most wonderful parts about being part of a free society. Talking with Kelly Copeland, Executive Director of Pro-Choice Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add? You know, I think the one thing I would want to add, we have a lot of plans, um, you know, for for what could happen. You know, the Supreme Court seems poised to overturn Roe versus Wade. There are certainly um, people like Governor DeWine and others who are seen intent on making abortion illegal. Um, we think that that will be deeply harmful and painful for people. What I want people to understand and to know is that if you had an abortion or if you need an abortion or someone you love has had or needs an abortion, the one thing that we don't have a plan for is to surrender or to abandon this cause. We will fight for as long as it takes in every way that we need to, to make sure that reproductive freedom is restored for everyone without shame or stigma so that people can get the care that they need and have the resources they need to decide when and if to become a parent. That's something that we're never going to stop fighting for. Kelly, if people want more information about your organization, where do they find it on the web? Uh, We're at ProChoiceOhio.org. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, all the places. Um, Just search for ProChoiceOhio.org. Great. Kelly Copeland, again, Executive Director. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It's it's a real pleasure. And uh, thank you to members of the audience for listening. Your your time is valuable and I do appreciate it. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and thanks for listening. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is Doug Ute, Executive Director of Ohio High School Athletic Association. High school coaches can be the biggest influence on kids having a positive experience in sports. Sports set the foundation for life lessons that remain long after playing days are over. This is Gene Smith. Please join Life Sports at The Ohio State University and the Ohio High School Athletic Association as we partner with the Susan Crown Exchange on its Million Coaches Challenge. Get involved and learn more at go.osu.edu backslash coachbi. Vision loss. 
is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. When kids need medical care, they will often face stressful and life-changing experiences. They miss out on the things that make being a kid fun. Starlight Children's Foundation has delivered happiness to 17 million seriously ill kids and their families at more than 800 children's hospitals and healthcare facilities. Our programs entertain and inspire hospitalized kids. Learn more at starlight.org. That's starlight.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State. This morning, I'm Tracy Townsend. 10 TV's Clay Gordon talked one-on-one with Senator Sherrod Brown. Let's talk about the primaries for a second. Nan Whaley for Ohio's governor race. What's your reasoning uh, picking her over Cranley? Yeah, it wasn't really over Cranley. I I like John Cranley fine. Uh, If he were the nominee, I would enthusiastically support him. I think he would be a a, a good governor. I've known Nan Whaley longer. My wife and I are close to Nan and seen up close the kind of the way she's dealt. She dealt with the shooting there when President Trump came out. She dealt with the KKK attack there. She dealt with the tornado in ways that few few public officials are called on that early in their careers to to have to answer those kind of huge public issues. Um, I think she'll be a really good governor. I think she'll have a focus on kids. I think she understands that Ohio's losing far too many young people, and we want to make this this state attractive, not just for business, which Republicans say they want to, although they haven't made it attractive for business. We want to make it attractive for business and for families to raise their kids here. And we simply aren't doing that well enough in this state. What is your stance on critical race theory and other topics like this being taught in school, how it's such a Well, critical race theory isn't taught in school. It was essentially invented, the controversy was invented by uh, Republican operatives that are just trying to divide people according to by race and and turn white people against black people against brown people. And there is is no school I know of in Ohio that that teaches that. Um, But I do want my kids and my my grandkids, I have uh, five grandkids, in public schools in Columbus. Uh, fifth uh, is about to well, start in a couple of years. I want them to learn about slavery, and I want them to learn about women not getting the vote until 1920, and I want them to learn about segregation and what we did to people of color, and I also want them to learn about the victories we've had in this country um, uh, overcoming injustice. So uh, that's that's part of who we are. Doesn't I don't want people to feel inferior or, or people to feel guilty. I just want people to understand history. Senator, competing with China, you've been an advocate for Ohio manufacturing and production, um, but specifically in semiconductors. Let's talk about the CHIPS Act. Um, how can you make sure that the you know this will actually pass the House? Are you concerned about it not passing the House? And how do we make sure this more of this happens here in Ohio? Yeah, the good the good news is that last year for the first time in in 
decades, the American economy grew faster than the Chinese economy, so we're coming back. But then again, 99% of light LED light bulbs are made in China when it was invented in the United States. Uh, most, very few semiconductors, only 8 or 9 or 10% are made in the United States, mostly in East Asia. So we've got work to do. The CHIPS Act, a bipartisan bill I've been working on for some time. Uh, the president wants it to his desk sooner rather than later. We're seeing our European competitors already mimicking what we're doing to try to get these chips manufacturers there. So we're going to, Intel's coming to Ohio. We want to see them come, not just in the big way they've promised, but make it even bigger. And passing the CHIPS Act will we'll, we'll make that happen. Um, I'm on the conference committee, uh, the committee between the House and the Senate. I helped to write this bill. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's important to priorities we have this year. Uh, tell me, too, we're trying to recruit more business to Ohio. Do you believe uh, like a, a, sent, a state house bill 616 um, and Florida's uh, similar legislation is going through um, the uh, legislature here in Ohio? Do you think that's going to, uh, you know, make businesses not want to come to the state? Uh, I'm very concerned when we have a legislature that uh, they, they'd rather cut taxes on rich people than they would invest in public education. And they spend their time putting more guns on the street, uh, weakening gun safety laws in times, attacking transgender kids and gay kids generally. And uh, I'm working with the Ohio Chamber of Commerce against that bill because they know, as I know, regardless of what you think about justice or civil rights, that these kinds of attacks on kids, these this kind of intolerance or hostility and, and divisiveness and hatefulness really drives people out of the state. I mean, if anything, except for Columbus, we've had a net out migration of young people in the state. If anything, um, in part, it's because the legislature is thinks it's 1948 or 1958 instead of looking forward. And we've got to change direction. It means the governor and the legislature legislature have to get their act together. 10 TV's Clay Gordon there talking with Senator Brown. Students at Reynoldsburg High School walked out in protest over that controversial House Bill 616. Hundreds of students were seen marching out of the school building. That legislation is being compared to Florida's law. A similar walkout was held at Hilliard Darby High School. LGBTQ plus advocacy groups say House Bill 616 stigmatizes students and could harm their mental health. 10 TV's Kiana Dykes spoke with students who say passing the bill would be a mistake. I've been called a, a demon, other slurs too. Owen Archer is a 10th grader at Hilliard Darby High School. There were people there that threw trash at us. We got water bottles thrown at us and we got uh, threats when walking back from the rally too. He's facing backlash because of his stance on House Bill 616. It's really hard to watch someone say you don't deserve rights because of something you didn't choose. You don't deserve rights because of the person you are. You don't deserve rights because you just want to love someone. Ohio's bill is similar to Florida's law. The bill as introduced would ban teaching or providing of instructional materials on sexual orientation and gender identity to students in kindergarten through third grade. Like Owen, critics are concerned about the toll the bill would have on mental health. Two out of three LGBTQ plus students in high school experienced poor mental health during the pandemic. For LGBTQ students, approximately uh, one in four attempted suicide in 2021. 
It's a really startling statistic. Republican House Representatives Mike Loichik and Gene Schmidt are the bill's co-sponsors. Representative Loichik said in his statement, children deserve a quality education that is fair, unbiased, and age-appropriate. This legislation promotes free and fair discussion. Some critics of the bill say it goes a little further than Florida's law. If passed, 4th through 12th grade teachers would also be banned from teaching about race, gender, and sexual orientation in any manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. So until we have a really robust conversation about what does age appropriate and developmentally appropriate look like, you can't pass legislation like this without putting teachers at risk. This bill is going to cost the lives of students. It is going to hurt so many people. 10TV's Kiona Dychus reporting for us. 10TV did reach out to both Representative Schmidt and Representative Loichik for a comment on this. We have not yet heard back. A packed school board meeting over whether Big Walnut local schools would renew their membership with the Ohio High School Athletic Association. There was some controversy after a board meeting earlier this month brought up questions and concerns over its transgender athlete policy. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio was inside the meeting as the school board made its decision. More than 50 people were here for Big Walnut's meeting, a packed house, for a quick decision. Ms. Nix? Yes. And... Ms. Smith. Yes. The Big Walnut Local School Board voted unanimously to renew its membership with the Ohio High School Athletic Association. I feel like it's turned very political and that bothers me in a big way. This four-page policy about transgender athletes is what had some school board members questioning if they wanted to be members at all. This is a portion of the discussion of last week's meeting. As having a granddaughter who is on the soccer team and wanting to protect her from any issue that might involve a transgender coming into the uh, dressing room. Are we seriously considering taking away these athletic opportunities for our students? If the board had chosen not to be members, OHSAA says students couldn't compete in state tournaments, which means no state titles. You know, everybody has the right to their own politics and where they stand on it. And as long as parents have the, you know, you can pull your kids out if you didn't want them to play. But if you don't care, you can let them play. During the meeting, board members said this letter from OHSAA to state superintendents helped make their decision about the policy. His information was very helpful to me and answered a lot of the questions I had. The letter says the transgender policy has been in effect since the 2015 to 2016 school year. They said less than 1% of all Ohio student athletes were approved by the policy. Between the first year of this policy and the 2020 to 2021 school year, OHSAA says three high school transgender females were approved to play. Eight, seventh, and eighth graders were approved in the same time period. In the current school year, there were seven total rulings of transgender requests, but the association wanted to note students must make requests for each sport, which means students can be responsible for multiple rulings. We reached out to OHSAA to see if there are any districts in the state that are not members. They say a few small private schools, but for public schools, it's essentially unheard of. Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News. Before the meeting, about 400 students walked out of school. Some of the students wore athletic gear and they were carrying signs that said, let us play. Right now, lawmakers are working on legislation that would allow marijuana to be regulated like alcohol. That means anyone 21 years old and older would be able to use or grow marijuana 
recreationally if the bill passes. Lawmakers would also add a 10% excise tax on marijuana. That money would go back to the community. It's part of the reason State Rep Casey Weinstein says it's time for Ohio to take the step towards legalization. Yeah, I think we're at a tipping point as a nation. Um, we have, and as a state, we have in Ohio had for several years a successful medical marijuana program that is now expanding. Uh, we have a nation with, you know, many, many states that have legalized and that are moving toward legalization. And we can look at um, best practices and, you know, ultimately, you know, kind of step back and see what has worked, what hasn't worked in different states that have uh, made the step to legalize marijuana. The money from an excise tax would go toward things like education, infrastructure, and first response agencies. So far, the legislation has not reached the House or Senate for a vote. We should also note, Representative Weinstein says if the bill passes, people who are imprisoned for low-level marijuana offenses would have their records expunged. Lawmakers recently passed a bill ensuring Ohioans can visit their sick loved ones during a state of emergency, and that includes situations like the COVID-19 pandemic. There are some exceptions. The resident has to be in what lawmakers call a compassionate care situation. So if your loved one is at the end of their life, experiencing emotional distress or dealing with a death in the family, a visit will be permitted. The policy comes after nearly three years of COVID-19 pandemic and its issues. The new law would take effect starting July. A recent study shows nearly 60% of families who had to visit a loved one in the ICU are now showing signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. The study was performed in the beginning of the pandemic when restrictions prevented most people from visiting their family in person. It's part of the reason mental health expert Ariana Gallagher says the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center is seeing more severe cases of mental illness. One of the sort of ingredients that is necessary for PTSD symptoms to develop is the presence of a, a situation or a set of circumstances or an event that is potentially life-threatening or harmful. And so obviously seeing a, a loved one being hospitalized in the ICU with an illness that nobody really has context for yet um, would be quite distressing. Um, another element that, that makes the development of PTSD symptoms more likely is feeling a, a loss of control. And so, you know, the, the study that was done was really with um, folks that very early on in the pandemic were hospitalized in the ICU. And at the time, the visitation um, restrictions in many hospital settings meant that these loved ones couldn't physically be present alongside their loved one and were having to rely on healthcare professionals that they'd never met before that were wearing masks so you could only see them from the eyes up it's really difficult to connect build relationships and trust with healthcare providers when you don't have that personal connection and so you know the that folks were feeling a loss of control in that moment makes a lot of sense. TenTV asked Gallagher what families could do to work through PTSD symptoms. Here's her advice. Really circling back to introduce those mindfulness skills and perhaps some conscious intentional breathing exercises to um, help reset the nervous system when you're feeling particular amounts of stress. 
um, those are some skills, some good baseline foundational skills that can be helpful pretty much across the board. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.